0: My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. A woman goes to a lawyer because she wants a divorce, And and the lawyer says to the woman, do you have any grounds? And she says, grounds, yes. We have two acres at the edge of town and a big lawn with a lot of fruit trees. He says, no, no, that's not what I meant. Do you, have a, do you have a grudge? She says, of course we have a garage. It's a two-car garage, but we only have one car and it's got a bunch of junk on the other side. He's getting a bit exasperated. He says, does he beat you up? And she says, no, nope, I'm up at 6.30. He's always up after that. He, in fact, he goes to work after me. Man, the lawyer's extremely frustrated at this point. He says, why do you want a divorce? Well she says, we just can't communicate. <laughs> I, uh, I felt a little bit like that last week that uh, I ov- obviously did not communicate as clearly as I wanted. So if you give me just a couple of minutes this morning, I want to clear some things up. I want to make, make some stuff absolutely clear. And, and here's, here's one thing that I want to clear up from last week. Uh, I did not want and do not want any of you saddled with any guilt from past failure or shame jesus took our guilt jesus took our shame the past is in the past and i cannot change it i cannot change anything that i've done anything that i've said now i do believe that we would be benefited by acknowledging the past even repenting of the past if we've not done that but we press forward into the future and we don't live in the past guilt or shame I also didn't mean to communicate that childless marriages are somehow subpar to those of children. Uh, In a a world affected by sin, or a world not affected by sin, I, I do believe that all marriages would have produced children. I I've thought about that this morning when I was practicing. Do I really believe that? In a world not affected by sin, where God created us to have children and to create a family where we would raise children to know him and love him, would that have been true? And, and I stand by that, though I, I can't know for sure. But the truth is, sin has broken our world, and there's infertility, and there's accidents, and there's all kinds of things that prevent us from having children. Uh, second marriages due to death or divorce may not result in children. So I, I, don't, I didn't mean to communicate I don't want to I don't want to get very very clear that a marriage without children can be just as significant and just as consequential as marriages with uh, with children and neither did I mean to communicate last week to you sisters that somehow you are subservient to uh, us brothers or that you exist just for your husband I don't believe that's true I in fact I really tried hard last week to explain that we're made in the image of God male and and female. It's not male or female. We're made in the image of God, male and female, meaning that God's image is inculcated and encased in, in both us as men and us as women. And so God puts us together as a couple so that we might reveal the completeness of who God is to our children. And so marriage is necessarily complementarian. And, and it's necessary to reveal the fullness of God to our children. And though I believe that marriage is complementarian or complementary, that does that not believe that, I do not believe, I don't think the Bible teaches it in any way that our roles are master-servant okay, that men are masters, women are servant or subservient in any way to their husbands. I believe that it's a symbiotic relationship, okay, of mutual love and help. As much as women were created for men, men were created for women, and I'll stand by that, and I'll tell you why I believe that, because God made us male and female. I'll say more about this in a minute, but but being made male and female is not an afterthought for God, When God created Adam, he didn't go, oops, I left out part. i got to create another part that's that's who I am and, and bring it. You know, it's not an afterthought. That's how it was from the very beginning. And the reason why God made them at separate times, made us at separate times, I believe anyway, is that man would see his symbiotic nature that doesn't mean that our roles are not different. That doesn't mean that our roles don't complement each other and that we have different, God has different expectations for how he created us and the role and what he put of his image in each of us, right? It doesn't mean that at all, but I don't mean to communicate in any way that uh, somehow in marriage that one of us exists for the other and not the other way around. And uh, so God created an ideal marriage and an ideal family. I stand by what I said last week, and I really do want to Encourage you to cherish it, to cherish it, stand by it, embrace it, encourage it as much as it depends on you. Create that that family that God desires for us uh, us to have and us to to be. And I say as much as it depends on us because it doesn't always depend on us. Now that all being said, this morning I want to talk to us. I want to go back to the issue of marriage, and I want to talk about marriage. I'm entitled the the the, today's talk, How to Make Marriage Great, or maybe How to Make Marriage Great Again. What a, How to Make it Great Again, right? So here, here's the deal. Some of us have great marriages, and so hopefully what I share today will make your marriage even greater. Maybe you have a good marriage, and this will help you go to great. Maybe you had a great marriage, and somewhere along the way you lost your path, and, and so today maybe I can help us, you know, get back on the path towards a great Marriage. Still, some of you—you're—you're too young. You're not—you're not engaged. You're not even dating at this point. Hopefully, some of the things I say will stick in your head, and they'll be there for you for the future. There'll be something that hey, I need to—I need to be—I need to know this so that when I do get married, I can have the kind of great marriage that God desires. Uh, for me. So our passage this morning is going to be Genesis chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, uh, I'm just going to deal with two verses, very very familiar verses. This might almost even seem like a springboard to all that I'm going to say. But I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 2 in just a moment. The backdrop for the passage is that God has created a garden. He called it Eden, and He put Adam in it. He placed him in it, and He gave him management over the garden. He gave him management over animals. And He, he brings, He, he, said, he makes the statement it's not good for man to be alone. And uh, so he knows that. I mean, he created Adam alone knowing that that part, well, everything else was good, but that wasn't good. And he was going to rectify it. That was his plan all along. He brings all the animals in front of Adam to name them, and he names them, and it, and it makes the statement that there was no suitable helper found for Adam. And so I think all this is intentional. It's not for God. It's not God thinking, man, I wonder if a dog is what a man needs. I wonder if that's his compliment, Right. That's not like God's trying to figure out if it's going to be a dog, or heaven forbid, a cat, or a horse. Where are you, Allison? It's not a horse, right? So he brings them all in front of him, and and so this is what we we read beginning in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a, a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the rib at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, after he understood all this, he made a statement. This one, not the other animals, this one at last. I mean, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one we called woman for she was taken from man. And then verse 24 and 25. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife are naked and yet felt no shame. So God makes this complimentary help for Adam, uh, this complimentary help person. And, And again, it wasn't an afterthought. I mean, I don't want anybody to go away missing this. God is not male or female. Nobody said this. God is male and female. So what what makes us male and female, and despite what our present culture is trying to say about our maleness and femaleness, they are different. I mean, it's easy to see. It's It's to deny reality and to deny science. To say somehow that it's just a, it's a spectrum and you choose where you want to be. There's just something different about how God's created us and it's there. And, and that maleness and female in this is both God and, and He made us complementary. He made us complementary. How, how do I say that? What's the right way to say that, teacher? He made us complimentary, okay? He made us complimentary. And uh, so both of those differences are in his image. Now, what I'd like to do with the last two verses, uh, I'd like to give you three principles this morning. Nothing I'm going to say is new today. I'm not going to say anything you haven't heard before, but my goal and my hope anyway is that the Spirit would, the Holy Spirit of God would take his word and just help us, convict us. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times we get so set we can't even we can't even see the path we're on. It's just a rote path. My dogs, you know, my yard when we had dogs, it was filled with little paths because the dogs always go on the same identical path when they're walking around the yard. And we get that way too. And so I'm hoping that maybe today I might shake you out of the path because maybe you're not on the exact path you ought to be, and maybe this will help you. So that's kind of the goal. Nothing new here, but maybe that God will just will, will change the path that we're on and, and, and affect our marriages and help them to be great marriages and maybe even great Again. So I've got three principles that I want to share to, with you from the last two verses. So let's just dive in. Here's the first principle from what God, God the, the conclusion that we, we find in verse 24 and 25. Let me read them again. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and the woman and his wife were naked and felt no shame. Here's the first principle. And I'm calling it the principle of Priority. And it is that a man and a woman, not just a man, but a man and a woman are to leave their fathers and mothers and they're to bond with each other. The, the leaving part is that we need to choose a different priority than the one that we were born into. And when, when I was born... My, my, my family was my priority. I didn't know anything else. I loved them. My parents took care of me. It was, my family was my greatest priority. And uh, every great marriage is built on you changing the priority relationship in your life. It, it means you change from, going, uh, from prioritizing your immediate family to now prioritizing this person with whom you're going to make a new family. That's, that's the leaving part. Now, again, I'm I'm always trying to think like you think. You know, in the book of Romans, Paul's always trying to guess guess what the person might be saying. Ah, yeah, but what about this? So here's what you're thinking. Ah, yeah, but what about prioritizing God? That should be the relationship that you should prioritize. Okay, I give. You're right. Love God first. Love him most. Agreed. But after God... Your marriage, your spouse, should be your greatest priority relationship. And it means leaving past relationships or leaving your parents and your family. And again, we live in a Western culture, so in some ways this sort of happens even without marriage. But most of the world never happened that way. And we're to leave that relationship, and we're to be joined to our husbands and wives. And for your marriage to thrive, and for your marriage to be great, you have to make that switch, and you have to start prioritizing each other. Now, when we get into a relationship, it's really easy, I think, to do that. We, to prior, that's how we fall in love, isn't it? <laughs> when we're falling in love, we start, we start prioritizing the other person. And we spend all our time with them. And we talk incessantly with them on Facebook or face-to-face, you know. Or somehow we're communicating with them. And there's a great deal of passion. And there's a great deal of goodwill when you begin those relationships. In fact, I, I want to tell you that... Um, there's a lot of chemistry going on at that time as well, and I'll talk about that in, in just a little bit. Uh, it's so easy to prioritize one another when you're just beginning uh, in a relationship, but over time the chemistry subsides, and if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're, it's really easy to not prioritize each other, not leave something else for each other. So let me share with you some things that steal that priority. Things you already know, but things that steal that priority. Here's here's one of them, and it's not necessarily people. It can be people, but it's not necessarily that. Vocation is a huge one that can steal the priority of your relationship to one another. Uh, Your work, your career, I remember for years when Ann and I first were married and in the first decade or two, she probably still thinks it but doesn't say it anymore. But she always said, hey, ministry is your first priority. When I say that, I'm I'm, I'm saying that trying to be transparent and real. It's real. I mean, I didn't feel that way. That's how she felt. Right? So it's really easy, guys and gals, for your vocation to become priority over your, over your spouse. Kids can be another relationship that we prioritize over our marriages. It's super important. When it comes to your priorities in life, your children should be way up there but they should not be above your relationship to your spouse. They should not be the priority over, over your marriage. If wives often because of culture and maybe because of gender roles if uh, that God has given us, if by and large men end up end up being with the career leaders, again I know, I know in our culture that's not true. Some of you women have great careers and I'm not there's nothing wrong with that. But generally speaking if wives feel second fiddle to a man's career, husbands often feel second fiddle to their children and that priority that women adopt in their lives. And I think I have a reason why I know that to be true. A number of years ago, the host of Entertainment News, and I don't know if I can pronounce her name right, G. Julenia Uh, rancic she was on on a show and she was talking about her marriage and she said the reason why my husband and I have such a good relationship is we prioritize our marriage even over our children and she said and the quote is the best thing we can do for our children is to have a strong marriage And I don't know if these comments were picked up by a couple of ladies uh, who had a show or whether she was actually on the show. I'm not sure which it was. But uh, Jen and Barb, Barbara Machen, the co-host of the Jen and Barb Mom Life Talk Show, they were ridiculing this lady. And here's what they said in response to what she said. And I quote Barbara. She said, if you ask me what the breakdown was, I would say my my children, my girlfriends, then my husband, but don't tell him because he doesn't know. Now listen folks, hey, here's a secret I wanna reveal to all of you. He knows, she knows. We all know when we're not that priority. Your hobbies can steal that spousal priority. Hunting, sports, yard work, you name it. I'm a guy, so it's hard to figure out what the hobbies might have been for women. I don't know. But uh, your friends can become your most important relationship. Even your extended family. I mean, I, I, I kind of ridiculed this and said that we're definitely leaving mom and dad most of the time, and that is true, but that's not always true. Some people never leave mama, you know. And that relationship is the priority relationship. We've got to do Listen, spouses are never roommates. We're not meant to be roommates. We're meant to be partners and lovers. We're meant to be each other's priority. So have you ever thought about how is priority demonstrated in your spousal relationship? How, how should you prioritize your husband? Or how should you prioritize, guys, your wives? Well, I'm going to give you three thoughts here. One of them is time. Priority is is how I, I mean, priority is seen in how I spend my time. Now listen, not your work time. Hey, we we all work, and we have a certain responsibility with work, and and if you're the breadwinner in your home, or if you're both the breadwinners, you know, hey, listen, work is work, and you've got to work. You've got to put the hours in to provide for your family. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the free time, the time that you're not at work. How are you spending that money? I mean, at times. Somebody quipped, money is the commodity of business, but time is the commodity of relationships. Isn't Isn't that good? Money is the commodity of business or jobs, but time is the commodity of relationships. Here's another way you show priority, by sacrifice. What are you willing to give up for each other? What are you willing to, to surrender? Even stuff that you love, I'm not talking about immoral things. I'm talking about even moral things that you really like. What are you willing to give up for your spouse to prioritize them? This can go back to hobbies. It can go back to the things that I enjoy doing, right? But what am I willing to surrender so that, so that I might prioritize the, uh, the other person? I've got a couple examples for you. If every evening and every Saturday of hunt season, you have to be out in the woods, you reveal no willingness to sacrifice for your husband. (laughs) I shouldn't have paused, but I just had to to let that sink in, right? Or if you come home every night from work and eat dinner and get on the computer and scroll mindlessly through Facebook or on your phone, uh, what are you revealing to your spouse about your priority? Or if you come home, you eat your supper, you go in the back room, put your headphones on, start playing one of those war games across the country with some of your buddies. And that's what you do night in and night out. What, what are you revealing about sacrifice for your spouse? Well, you're not prioritizing that relationship. And here's a third one. that I mean, this is, this is just Jimmy thinking out loud. But attitude. Attitude, and I can't explain this, but but actually, we all know when someone wants to be with us. We all know when someone wants to prioritize us. We we actually we feel it and we see it. Um, we just we just know it. Now, listen, if you're if you're in this situation where you're not your, your spouse or your marriage isn't really prioritizing each other, if you're in that place, right? Uh, and, and, and here's what happens. It kind of sometimes can begin with one person and bleed over to the other until there's a point where neither one of you are pri- prioritizing each other. You're just living as roommates and you're prioritizing something. You're both prioritizing something else. But, but if you want to change and you want to have a great marriage, here's what I tell people all the time. You, somebody has to get off the merry-go-round. Somebody has to be the first to get off the merry-go-round. I mean, it doesn't work to stand there and say, I'll jump if you jump. You know, it just doesn't work. Somebody has to jump off and say, no, I'm going to start prioritizing our relationship. I'm going to change this because I want to have a better marriage or I want to have a great marriage. So here's my honest question of evaluation for you and for me. Here's the honest question. Are you prioritizing your wife? Men, I mean, would your wife say you prioritize her? Would your husband say, women, that you prioritize your husband? What's currently getting your sacrifice, your time, your, your energy, your, your focus, your attitude? You know, is it, is it something other than, than them? And are you willing to repent? So that's a big question. Am I willing to repent? In a repent. We 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 just attach such spiritual stuff to repentance, but repentance is just. It means to change your mind. In the Greek, that's what it originally meant. But it's it's changing my mind so that I change my my attitudes, I change my actions. It's not it's just not. A, it's not a mental thing. It's a mental thing that leads to action thing. So, are you willing to repent? Are you willing to change? Here's the second principle, the principle of intentionality. So look at the text. A man shall leave his father and mother. That's, that's the priority. You're leaving all of the relationships for this one. And here's the, if, this, if, 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 if priority is leaving, intentionality is bonding and, and bonds with his wife. And actually the ESV says, holds fast. Uh, to his wife. I remember the NASB, which is what I grew up on spiritually, said cleaves to his wife, right? And the idea was this kind of, the, the, the idea of, of permanently bonding to something and not, and not letting loose and not letting go. Now, here's some English for us. And again, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at all this stuff, but I can read. Uh, the whole fast to is in the perfect tense. And here's what that means. That means it begins with a decision or a point but then has lasting, continual effects. And so the bonding that, so he bonds to his wife, she bonds to her husband. And again, I'm including, I, I absolutely believe that this is not a one-sided bonding. This is a two-sided bonding. And, and so it, it begins with a moment, and then it, it has continual effects in my life, continually after that. It's not just the present. The perfect says it has a moment of beginning, but then it continues on. That's the perfect tense, and that's what we find right here. Someone asked me this past week, why do we need a marriage ceremony or a license? Why can't we just say, hey, I'm married now. Why can't, I, why can't we do that? And, and I think... That comes because I've thought that too. We probably all have thought that. What, what what makes the ceremony something versus me just saying this to the person? I think that comes out of our individualistic society and mindset. We live in a world, we live in a Western culture that says the supreme height of everything is our own personal autonomy. It's me, right? It's me. But for most of the world it's God and community, and then I'm part of community. And, and the reason I believe that it's not good enough for me to simply say, yep, yeah, we're getting, we're married now. I'm, hey, I'm choosing you. We're married. It is because it wasn't meant to be a private decision. It was meant to be a communal thing. And that's why it says a man shall leave his father and mother. So there's a part of, there's that community part of leaving this family unit that I'm a part of and starting this new family unit over here. It's not just a private personal covenant that we're making. It's a a covenant that we're making with each other but it's also a covenant we're making with the community in which we live that we're going to form this new family union unit and we're going to be absolutely committed to this it's a public declaration as well as a an individual thing it's a community event you might disagree with me but i think the bible pretty much teaches that that our marriage is is part of being in community now i'm not saying that our marriage vows and our, the covenant that we make with each other is not primarily personal or that it, it, it somehow doesn't have a personal aspect. It absolutely does. But, but there is a difference. And I say this in every wedding ceremony that I officiate. Uh, I say this, and, I, and it's right before the vows. You watch and listen. And those of you that have heard me do this hundreds of times, literally, you'll know I say this. I say, what you've said in private is one thing. But what you're saying now publicly before God and before all of us, it's a different thing. And, and so that's part of the bonding. I think that's what's included in the perfect tense of that word. It begins with a moment of time where I commit myself to someone, right? But then it has lasting effects. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about for a few minutes is the, the intentionality of bonding in our relationship. Okay, And so why do we have to be intentional? Hopefully I'm saying everything that you already know. Because, but here's the reason why. Because emotions are fickle. Emotions change. Passions fluctuate. That's why I have to intentionally pursue. Because if I don't, the embers are going to grow cold. If I'm not, if I'm not doing something to heat the embers of my relationship with my spouse, they're going to grow cold just i think it was 2 weeks ago or last no was, was it last week we had the men's conference yeah, It's kind of hard to it was the last week wasn't it last week we had a marriage conference and on friday night um, nathan and will spent the night with uh, with me at our house and we went out and built a fire in the fire pit and sat around and talked for a long time way too long but we sat out there and talked and you know what we had to do all night long we had to keep putting wood on the fire you know why? Because the fire was going out. And we had, to, we had to keep stoking the fire so that the embers, so the fire would not go out. It was kind of cold that night. Folks, that's what we've got to do in our marriages. We've got to continually press towards bonding to each other. Because if we don't, the embers of our hot bond will grow cold. And, and, and we will not be bound together like we want to be. So here's, here's a, three things that I think... Uh, And again, this is Jimmy thinking out loud from going to marriage conferences and just what I've seen anecdotally as a pastor. Here's three realities that I've noted that tend to to make us not want to continually, intentionally bond ourselves to our spouse. One of them is that our first love dissipates and changes. And uh, so we all call that first love. What do we call the first love? What do we call it? Don't we call it infatuation? And we start there normally. We say it's infatuation. And, uh, and God created that way. We fall in love. And when we fall in love, it's a crazy love, right? I mean, we can't get enough. And it feels so good to be in their presence. It feels so good to talk to them on the phone. Listen, we're, we're, there's creating all kinds of hormones in our body that are are making us feel that way. But after a while, that chemical reaction is not nearly as strong. And the emotional driven love sort of dies down and when it does this is why we have to be intentional because you're not and I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to take away from our hearts I'm, I'm simply this is how God created us right? there, there's a chemical response that we're making and so when that dies down love has to be intentional and it changes actually I'm not trying to say that we lose the best love I think the best love is going to be that love that we have after years of sharing life together but but that first love, it does change. Here's another reason why we have to be intentional, is because, you know, we tend to think that if I if I do things to bond to my spouse today, well it's gonna carry on for weeks or months. Then I've done enough stuff to bond forever. Right? So the the wife says, You never say that you love me anymore. And he says, Well, I told you on our wedding day, and if that ever changes, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, right? So we think that somehow or another that's enough, but it's not enough. And in husbands, I think, or men, I think maybe because of how God created us versus our wives, this is a bigger thing for us. We tend to think that the things we do to bond carry on and carry on. I remember a marriage counselor talking about this and saying that when a when a guy does things to bond to his wife or is that, that uh, intentionally bonding, like bring flowers or take care of a bunch of household duties or take care of the kids or go to a girl movie or whatever it is, they think think, man, I've stored up points forever. And the counselor said, "Well, they don't realize is that all points dissipate at midnight and go back to zero, right? And uh, that's kind of, that's kind of true. So intentionally bonding is not a one and done deal, everyone. It's one of these things we've got to continually work on. Again, I go back to the English or, or to the, to the tense of the term bonding, perfect tense. It has a beginning point where I commit myself to one another before God and before community, and I say, we're starting a new family. But then it has these, it has these ongoing effects that just keep going on. I've gotta continually bond to my spouse. But we don't do that because we think we've done enough. And, and then a third thing is, the reason why we, we have to continue this bonding thing is, uh, or is because when we've lost our bondedness, we feel disconnected and maybe alone in our marriage. And we believe the lie that we can't get it back. And so we give up. And so that's another reason why we should continually seek to bond to one another, to, to stoke the embers of our, of our relationship so that we never get to the place that we feel like we've made a mistake or we, get, we want to give up. And by the way, listen, it's never too late if the two people in a relationship are willing to work on, bonding, on getting the bond back. On on committing themselves to that relationship. It's never too late if both people are in it. Now here's something I've seen as a pastor. I've seen this, this is anecdotal, okay, but this is what I've seen that there's hurt in a relationship. Maybe somebody is not seeking to bond and they're not they're not prioritizing the relationship, they're not pursuing the relationship, and and one person is they they they're constantly getting hurt by the, the other person's getting hurt by that. Here's what happens: I see it so often. That other person gets so hurt they give up. Something breaks inside them. I'm not I'm not justifying them. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm just saying that's how it works. They break. They break. And when they break, I mean it's really hard to come back. It's really hard to get them to want to reengage and reenergize. Which is why we really need to continually. Pursue bondedness with each other lest we get to this point. So, I'm mending this point now. How do we recover that bondedness if it's lost? I mean, it's really simple, everyone. And the reason I say it's simple, and I don't mean to be trite, but the reason I say it's simple is because in the book of Revelation, we have have the key. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, John, or Jesus, is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he makes a statement to them. He says, Guys, you've lost your first love he's talking about himself he says you've lost your love for me this remember that love you used to have for me you've lost it somewhere along the way all right now again jesus is talking about him and the church right but i think we can apply that to ourselves somewhere along the way we lose that love we lose that bondedness that we have with our spouse all right what do i do to recover it here jesus here's what he tells them he says remember how far you've fallen And some of us need to remember what it was like early on in our relationships and remember the the passion, the love, the feelings, the the infatuation, the, the, the chemical love, if you would, that's just coursing through your life. You need to remember that. And not necessarily that we could ever get that back to that kind of infatuation. I'm not trying to suggest that. But, but you can get that love back. Because this is what he goes on to say. Remember from where you've fallen and then repent. There's that word again. Change your mind. Say, I want something different. You're not going to get anything different unless you try to get something different. I mean, if you keep doing the same old thing, you're not going to get anything different. And then he he says this, repent, and here it is, here it is, and do the works you did at first. That's the key. It's just that simple. Go back and do the things that you used to do at the beginning, when you first fell in love, when you first started out, when you were first bonded, and you were first prioritizing each other. That's what you got to do. Go back and do the things you used to do. All right, here's the last one, the principle of intimacy. When they become one flesh... Both the man and his wife were naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, I know, I know obviously, everybody's thinking, well, that's talking about sexual oneness, physical intimacy. And, and I agree with you. The physical intimacy is a huge part of a great marriage. It's a huge part. It's an, uh, it's an intrinsic part. It's a necessary part to a great marriage. God, God, could have had, listen, God could have had us have children like fish have children. You know the fish have it? I mean, they just come, the, the lady comes along, lays her eggs on the bottom of the sea, and then the, and the guy comes along, and squirts something on them, and then, and then little fish come out of that. I mean, that's how God could have done it for us, right? Women, you could have spit something up, then we could have come behind you and spit on it. I'm just, th- I'm trying to think how God could have done it, right? Could have done it in all kinds of ways. But but he didn't he didn't do it that way, okay? Now, I know the audience, so don't be afraid. Some of y'all are terrorized, I'm gonna say a whole bunch right now. And I can't can't say all the things I'd really like to say because there's so many things I'd like to say here about this aspect of our relationship. But I I do have one biological tidbit that I want to say, which actually goes back and ties in on some of the things I've already said. Oxytocin is a hormone that men and women produce. I may have shared this with you already, forgive me, but you need to hear it over and over and over again. Oxytocin is a hormone that we produce. It's called the bonding or it's called the love hormone. And when it's released in our bodies, here's what it does it gives you a pleasurable feeling, it gives you a pleasurable feeling, and it bonds you to the person that you're interacting with at, uh, at that time. Uh, we are so wonderfully made, aren't we? Man, so wonderfully made. And uh, here's the neat thing about it, women. You produce oxytocin when you're nursing your children. So, you know, when you're nursing that little baby and you got it in your arms and it's attached to you and you're there stroking its little hair and it's nursing on you, your, your brain, your body is producing oxytocin and filling your body with oxytocin. And you know what you're feeling? Man, you're feeling so much love for that little child and your heart, your heart and everything is bonding to that child. Now, I'm about to tell you something that should rock your world. You know the only time that a man produces oxytocin it's when there's physical intimacy. Now, women, you produce it then too. But men only produce it in physical intimacy. So what's the point of that? What, what's the point I'm trying to make? I'm trying to make, the, I'm trying to make the point that physical intimacy isn't just about having children. It's an integral part of marriage. It, it's, a, it's a super important part in marriage, bonding you together. It's not just about having children. Like I said, God could have made having children something so innocuous right but he didn't he coupled it with this now the reasons are varied but too many marriages don't pursue physical intimacy they don't they lose it they minimize it that might be you sitting here and you're very uncomfortable with what I'm saying maybe it's one of the partners in a relationship maybe it's both of you maybe maybe eventually both of you give up I I don't really know but but guys remember go back and do the things you used to do you have to recover this if you want a great marriage, this really, I believe, has to be a something in our marriage. It has to be something that we prioritize. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying that because that's what God says. That's, what, that's the point that God's making. And um, now I say... Great marriages usually prioritize this aspect of marriage. Again, I'm thinking like you. Yes, there are exceptions. There are, there are marriages where, for whatever reason, physical intimacy can't be a part of your relationship. And you have a great marriage. But, folks, I tell you, that's the exception, not the rule. I stand by that. I believe that's going to be the exception, not the rule. And granted, we are all getting older. All those things change. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm putting all of that in there. But I'm, I'm really trying to make a point. The great marriages, there's three principles. There's the principle of priority. There's the principle of intentionality. And there's this principle of of intimacy. And you've got to prioritize that in in your relationship. You've got to use it as a... Go back and do the things you used to do. Which one of among us here would not say that on a spectrum of starting to end, it's a lot heavier on this end, isn't it, than it is on this end? Again, I get it. Y'all, y'all please, please filter this. And what I mean is, please, please know I'm not trying to be extreme. I'm just trying to help us. Because that's what it says here. There's the principle of intimacy in marriage. But now, lest you think that's all I'm going to talk about, intimacy in marriage is not just physical. Intimacy in marriage is so much more than just that. I mean, it's that, but it's, I, I shouldn't say so much more like this is inconsequential. There's another half to the intimacy that we should be striving and pursuing in marriage. And that second half would, is what I'm going to call, and what you're probably already thinking in your brain, is, is emotional intimacy. And here I'm going to define that for you. Emotional intimacy can be defined as a closeness between spouses where they can literally talk, share, discuss any aspect of their personal lives and relationship without reservation and feel absolutely safe in doing so. In other words, they can talk about what they're feeling, what's going on in their heart, you know, even about their relationship without Without feeling like I can't share that because I don't want to hurt my spouse or, you know, some other reason why they they won't share. Becoming one in marriage is about intimacy and it's about this heart intimacy and about this oneness where I'm able to share myself. I may, listen, all of us, don't you agree with this? All of us have some little place deep inside our heart that we don't let anybody in where we have thoughts that we would never share with anyone or we have thinking or whatever and we just don't. And I'm not trying to say that you should empty that room with your spouse. I'm not trying to say that. But I am trying to say that That should be just this really small, small space that somehow in our relationships, in our married relationships, we should be able to have this kind of intimacy where we share ourselves, share our lives, share our our joys, our sorrows, our dreams, what we're thinking, our hurts, our sorrows, where we share that, our failures, our successes. Now, I realize when I'm saying this, there's not an awful lot of marriages that really do that. There's not a lot of awful. There's not a lot of marriages also often always do that. Okay. Now here's a descriptive saying for intimacy. I just want you to help me. I want you to get what I'm saying. This is kind of trite, but I think it's clever and I think it helps. Intimacy is this. Remember this? You heard this? Intimacy is in to me see. And the only way that somebody can see it, the only way you'll ever see into me, is if I choose to let you see into me. Right? Because I can keep myself from you. Now, yeah, you'll know what I look like, you know, but you'll never know me on the inside. Unfortunately, I'm... I probably should keep more of me on the inside than I do. But anyway, you don't know who the person is unless they're willing to let you see on the inside. Here's the point, everyone. When it comes to the priority relationship in your life, which you are intentionally seeking to bond with, you should be willing and seeking to reveal that inner you to that person at a much deeper level than, than anyone else. When you are emotionally intimate with your spouse, here's what happens. Uh, you kind of can see into them. You're letting them see into you. You're seeing into them. And, uh, and all of a sudden, it's, it's like you're looking into their inner being. And there's a closeness that develops, you know. And, and that's why it's dangerous for us to into me see, let somebody who's not my spouse, way down into that deep spot. Because it has a bonding Place with us and that's one of the reasons why if we're going to if we're going to prioritize this relationship that's where it needs that's where it needs to be adam and eve were naked and they were unashamed and i don't just think that means physically i think it means emotionally and again i can't prove that i can't i can prove that that god desires us to have this kind of intimacy and I'll, and I'll give you a verse for that in just a few minutes here's two reasons why i think this is so hard one is that we're so afraid of being rejected we're so afraid of being rejected. If I let you see into me, will you still love me? Will you still, will you still want me? Will you think I'm whatever, you know? And, and so we're so scared to open up to our spouses because we're afraid of their reaction to us. And um, maybe we've tried before, and the result is this. They ridicule me, or they shot me down, or they belittled me, or, you know, heaven forbid, they uh, attacked me. And so it's easier sometimes to be insulated and isolated and never reveal what's going on in my heart. The second reason that we don't do this, I think, is because we're not necessarily sure how. How do I do this? When do I do this? You know... It's it's really hard to do this, and especially if you grew up in a if you grew up and you never sh- you you grew up with parents and never shared, you never saw it modeled. You never saw letting people see the real you. You never saw it modeled. You never did it. You you don't know how to do it. And so I think that might be a reason why so often we we don't have emotional intimacy in our relationships because we're, we're just we don't know how to do it. I know where to begin. How do I overcome these things? How do I overcome this, 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 this fear and this not knowing how so that this is a part of my life? Well, here, I'm going to give you three, three... I'm almost finished, so hang in there with me. Uh, here's three thoughts. You, you have to decide you want that, that it's valuable. You have to decide, you have to believe that it's the stuff that good marriages are made out of. You have, you have to believe that intimacy matters, and so therefore, I'm going to be willing to pursue it and invest it. Now, here's where I want to give you the verse. So Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. He's not writing to a woman. He's not writing to his wife. He's writing to a church. But, but I think the principle applies. And here's what he said to them when he wrote them. He, he loved it. If you know anything about the, the letters of Thessalonica... The first and second Thessalonians. If you know anything about them, you'll know that he loved that church. That church, for whatever reason, was special to him. And this is what he writes them. He says, verse eight. He says, I think it's chapter one, might be chapter two. I didn't write the chapter down. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. And he's saying this. He's saying, hey. We weren't content just to have this kind of superficial relationship. We were willing to share deeper down with you because we loved you, because we cared for you. And I'm telling you, everyone, we, you know, we've got to decide, hey, this is valuable. I'm willing to share my life, my heart with my spouse. Here's, um, here's another thing I think that has to happen. You have to decide that you're willing to trust enough to be vulnerable. And this is where it gets really sticky and scary, um, Intimacy is built on vulnerability. It always is. Intimacy is built on me being willing to be vulnerable and share what's going on the inside. And it's scary. And it's scary because I'm afraid of being hurt. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of I don't want I want people to think better of me and if I share with my spouse some of the the things that are not so great about my heart thinking or whatever maybe they won't love me. Maybe they won't want me anymore. And so we're scared. But you've got to decide, hey, can't, I'm going to trust my spouse with this vulnerability. Now now let me run into the last thing I want to say is that you have to decide to listen and love your spouse in their vulnerability. Okay? So if you don't get that, these are the two sides of the same coin. So for this to happen, I've got to decide I'm willing to be vulnerable. But for it to happen, you've got to be willing to accept your spouse's vulnerability. And what I mean by that, and here's what I said. I said, decide to listen and love your spouse and their vulnerability. And what I mean by that is you've got to be willing to respond with, with intimacy and love and not in not the bad way, not the way that hurts. You know what the way of hurts is? The way of hurts is being defensive. So I share with Anne something that that. That I'm hurting over something maybe she's done or let me do it the other way She shares with me something that I've done bad, right? So I've got a response at that point. I can I can say I can say it's not my fault It's your fault if you just did this then I would do better at that So what am I doing? I'm being defensive, right? So you've got to say, I'm not going to be defensive. So when you spell, and again, I mean, there's two places here we can share with this vulnerability. I, I can share about my thoughts about other things other than our relationship, but but I think it's in our relationship the vulnerability really matters. And in in intimacy really matters, so I can become defensive, but along with my defensiveness, I can become judgmental, and that's where I flip the coin and say, hey, it's not my fault, it's your fault, and I can point back at at her and say it's her fault, right, as opposed to dealing with my own stuff, and listen, you know, I think I'm preaching to people that do this, Not all of you, not all the time, but it's really hard not to be defensive. It's really hard not to throw stones back because because I'm not willing to accept their vulnerability with me. I'm not willing to love them and their vulnerability by responding lovingly to their vulnerability. So I can become defensive and I can judge my spouse and I can attack my spouse back. And, And if it's not that, here's what we also tend to do, is that we can withdraw from them. We just pull back. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with myself. And so we just, we just kind of draw back. We don't talk. We become isolated, insulated. We, we, we shut down. I mean, it's, listen, we're going to respond negatively in one of two ways. We're going to attack back, or we're going to just close up and shut down. And listen, I mean, you might think this is better than that. Maybe it is. But not as far as God's concerned. Shutting down or attacking, neither one of those are the right responses. Neither one of those are responding to my spouse's vulnerability with love. It's it's responding so that I'm listening. Great marriages choose intimacy, both physical and emotional. Go back and do the things you used to do. Man, when you were first dating, again, I'm sure you were protecting part of your heart, but you were much more vulnerable back then. We've got to go back and do the things we used to do. Three simple principles to make your marriage great. The principle of priority, the principle of intentionality, and the principle of intimacy. Leave others, leave other relationships, pursue the relationship with your spouse, and then share yourself with your spouse, both physically and share your heart. So I've got two closing thoughts. What if you're the only one that wants that and the other one doesn't? What if you've tried and you feel like the other one doesn't? Well, here's what I want to say to you. Try again. Try again press on, press in, don't give up. I I get it, I get it. If you're you're the only one doing this, then sometimes it it becomes easier to just not try to do that because you just, you feel the hurt of trying. But, But here, I guess what I'm saying is, maybe my challenge to all of us this morning is try again, you know, press in again. If you've given up, press in again to make your marriage great, to make your marriage all that God wants it to be. Press in again. I wrote down some notes this morning. I'll tell you another funny story. I don't think it's true. But this woman goes to a counselor and says she wants a divorce. She says, I can't stand the man. I want out of the relationship. And the counselor says, I got a good idea how you can get him. She says, what's that? He says, man, go back for the next three months and just love him. I mean, just love him with all your heart. Do everything. Man, just make him feel like king and home. And then three months from now, divorce him and you'll really hurt him because you'll have been doing all this kind of great stuff for him. And then you can divorce him. You'll really hurt him. She goes, oh man, that's such a good idea. So three months later, she comes back for her follow-up appointment. He says, okay, let's get on with your divorce. She says, divorce? I don't want a divorce. He's the best husband in the world, right? Why is he the best husband in the world? Because he's responding to her goodness and graciousness, right? See, that's the getting off the merry-go-round thing. Getting off the merry-go-round. So... Hey, if I could just admonish you, encourage you, as, as hurtful as it might be, as, as, as setting yourself up for pain again, I get it. But what if? What if this is the time when you press in that ch- it changes and your marriage goes from horrible to good, you know, or good to great? I made a mistake last week of forgetting to point you to Jesus, and so I want to end by pointing you to Jesus today. I am not saying pull yourself up by your bootstraps this morning. I'm not. I am saying this. I am saying that it is not that God has to do it in the sense that somehow I'm a mechanical thing, that He flips a switch and then it'll happen. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that and I'm, this, here's, here was the prayer the prayer this morning in our prayer time was that God would use today's talk to just motivate you maybe, to have hope. To motivate you to press on again, right? As opposed to just staying withdrawn or staying aloof, to press in again, to prioritize again. That that's my hope that the Spirit of God will use this talk to motivate change in every one of us in our marriages. Okay. But having said that you have a major responsibility in making your marriage great, I also want to say Jesus hasn't left us alone. He's regenerated us. He's made us new. He's given us a new heart. We are a new creature in Christ. And besides that, he put his spirit in me. You're not alone in this endeavor. You're not, you're not walking this out by yourself. You have Jesus with you. And so look to him. Depend on him. If, if there's anything that's happened today in this talk that says, I really want to improve, change, fix, grow my marriage, then look to Jesus. Say, God, help me. Jesus come spirit, help me. Depend on Him. Do your part, but depend on Him. Look to Him for help. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.